Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Danger from Within. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 12, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, Faith Made Practical. I recently read an article about a 19th century novel that, well, I have not read it, but this novel seemed very interesting to me, and I went online to look it up to get a fuller picture of it. It was written by a Scottish writer, a man named James Hogg. The novel was called Private Memoirs and Confessions of a Justified Sinner. And the main character of the novel was a man named Robert Ringham, and he's both intensely spiritual, but he's also a criminal. And as a young boy, he was adopted by a heretical Calvinist minister. And as such, Ringham grew up and he was trained by his father to believe that he was one of the elect and predestined unto salvation. But because his father was a heretic, he was also raised to believe that the elect were above the moral law. And practically that meant that he believed that his behavior wouldn't affect his eternal destiny. And so he acts without any moral restraint, and eventually that leads him to become a murderer. Now, of course, that might sound extreme, and yet in my ears, you know, that old story sounds amazingly contemporary. I mean, you think about those people who claim faith in Christ, but don't exhibit obedience. There is in their minds a dichotomy that never gets reconciled, a dichotomy between what they believe about Jesus, that is his cross, justification by faith, reconciliation with God, and all of theology, and they don't put that together with practice. In practice, any demand for obedience is met by some with a howl of protest. But isn't that simply justification by works, they say? Yeah, obedience is good, but it's not the saving element, they say. I mean, after all, we all have sins, and the issue is not whether or not we sin, it's whether we believe in Jesus. And so just like Robert Ringham, they believe themselves to be among the elect, but free from the moral law of God. And in practical terms, we witness that all the time. Whole churches now adopt today's sexual morality and never think that their salvation might be at stake. And in the private life of Christians, just like Ringham, there are those that have long ago given up on the idea of living the holy life. They just never connected that idea, that is, that theology and ethics can't be separated. And Jesus put it this way, Matthew 12, 33, a tree is known by its fruit. That is, if you want to know what kind of tree you're looking at, examine the fruit. Apple trees produce apples and so forth. If you want to know what kind of a person you're looking at, examine the fruit or their life. Evil people do evil things and so forth. Have a look at the moral scandals of some high-profile Christians to everyday Christians who have forgotten the requirements of the law of Christ. And you're going to see that the fictional Robert Ringham of the 19th century is still very much alive today. You know, I can be a Christian who doesn't obey Jesus, they say. Now, we've started a study in 2 Peter, which, as we will see, has a great deal to do with the struggle in the church against false teachers and false teaching. But as we've already seen, Peter begins not by decrying false teachers. He's going to get to that. But he begins by reminding his readers of the great and precious promises they've been given so that, or with the intent that, they might escape the corruption of the world because of sinful desires. You know, in short, Peter begins his letter by appealing to the holiness that is required of all believers. And then with that, Peter moves forward and explains the qualities of effective Christians. 
So let's jump right in. 2 Peter 1, 5-9. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So let's start with that curious phrase in verse 5. I'm referring to the phrase, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, it's very important here to notice the little nuances because to fail to notice them means we're going to fail to understand what Peter's saying. Peter speaks of supplementing your faith, not the faith. If we had speaking about supplementing the faith, he would have meant that the Christian faith needs to be supplemented or something needs to be added to Christian truth. Peter doesn't believe that. Indeed, he's already told us the very opposite. Look back at verse 3. Peter began this discussion by saying, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, in short, nothing's missing. Everything's there. You already have everything you need in both eternal life and for the life of holiness. You don't have to go hunting around for another spiritual experience. Your faith in which God's power is being given to you, is sufficient for everything. Nothing needs to be added. And so since Peter has just taught us that, what then does he mean when he says, supplement your faith? You know, what Peter is after, I think, is something that's extremely practical. See, Peter is telling us it's never enough to simply confess faith in Christ. We've got to live that. In essence, what Peter is saying here is very much like what James says in James 2, verse 20, that faith apart from works is useless. It's not that our obedience earns our salvation, but it's that our salvation always must produce obedience if it's real. That is, faith can never be left by itself. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that remains alone without obedience is a faith that was never genuine in the first place. So for that reason, every believer will be looking to supplement their faith. Or put it another way, every believer will be looking to put boots on their faith. They're going to endeavor to make their faith work in the real world, lest it's faith that has no practical application at all. So before I jump into the applications, would you please notice that Peter uses the word effort. Make every effort. You know, in verse 3, he speaks about God's divine power, which has been granted to every believer. That's what God's done. But now he speaks about what we must do. It requires effort. And anyone who's ever studied the life of holiness is going to see the interplay of those two things. On the one hand, God does it all. He supplies us with all we need. On the other hand, knowing that's true, we must now, with all our might, with every bit of concentration, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So let's see the seven supplements to our faith, seven practical qualities that faith needs in order to be workable. First, Peter mentions virtue. That word can also be translated moral excellence. Now, the Greek world at that time had a great interest in moral excellence as well. But for Christians, our understanding of moral excellence always comes from Christ. It means at all times, ask yourselves, what's good? And then having discovered what is good from Jesus, 
We then must do that which is good, regardless of the cost. That's what you need to add to your faith. Second, Peter then adds the word knowledge. No doubt Peter means the knowledge of God's will. You see, you can't have moral excellence if you don't have knowledge. It's true in every era of history. It's because moral excellence often follows the trends, or as the Germans put it, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the day. See, if I relate what Peter says here to what he's going to say in the next chapter regarding false teachers, that they follow their sensuality, we're going to see how true this is. You know, in our day, there is a vast chasm between what the Bible teaches about moral excellence and what our culture teaches about moral excellence. And so there's a difference between the person who has been discipled by the media as opposed to the person who's been discipled by the Word of God, which is by Jesus. You see, both the media and the Bible, they're making disciples. We can't just aim at moral excellence. We've got to know which book describes moral excellence. Well, here comes the third word, self-control. The word means to exercise complete control over one's desires and over one's actions. Another word might be the word restraint. Here we might consider the person who has some form of an addiction. You know, their will says no, their flesh says yes. And then over and over again, the flesh overwhelms the power of the will, leaving the will in tatters until it's unable to raise even the weakest of objections. But we need not just self-control over the baser sins, like, you know, alcoholism, pornography, drug addiction, and the like. We need to also control our wealth. We need to also have self-control over the praise of men. We need to have self-control over the honors that this world provides, which are a part of the temptation that we might have to adopt a lifestyle in which we are never required to deny ourselves, in which we know no area in our life where we have to say no to something that we might want or even need. See, self-control is the ability to put your desires under the moral excellence of the Word of God. Now, fourth, Peter adds steadfastness. Now, that word's really special for me because it's the first Greek word that I ever learned. I was attending a Greek class and I was nervous and my professor got in front of the class and he said, if you learn this one Greek word, you're going to learn the entire language. Well, that got my attention and he put on the blackboard, hapamane. That's the word he said. Say it with me and we all said it together. And then he told us what it meant and we all groaned. It meant perseverance, the power never to give up. Want access to all your favorite Back to the Bible content right at your fingertips? Then be sure to check out our free app. There you can listen to your favorite audio messages, read the Dr. John and Company blog, watch video sermons from Dr. John, and even access a digital Bible. Perfect for on the go. We strive to make Bible teaching and engagement resources as easily accessible as possible to as many people in as many ways, both nationally and internationally. To download the Back to the Bible Canada app at absolutely no cost to you, simply visit your app store and search Back to the Bible Canada. And for more information, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425. And on behalf of the whole ministry team, thank you. It's your support that allows us to make Bible teaching resources such as these possible.
steadfastness or perseverance is the power to hang in there over the long haul, never give up, never surrender, never stop fighting. Peter knows that there are those who begin the life of Christ with good intentions, and then they find it harder than they've ever imagined, and they give up. Listen, when you seek to live the morally excellent life and to live it according to the will of God, you're going to have to know how to control your flesh, and you're going to find out that that fight is a lifetime fight. I once had a seminary professor who was asked a question, a question from one of the students is, you know, when will my struggle with the flesh end? And my prof answered, about an hour after your death, he said, I just don't trust warm flesh. Of course, you know, as it meant as a joke, but there was truth in it. Yeah, we sometimes sin. Yeah, sometimes we have reversals. At times we notice that our love for Christ has cooled. Sometimes we're careless in the way we live, but perseverance, that never gives up. It pursues holiness again and again. It knows the fight is enduring until Christ calls us home. Fifth, Peter adds the word godliness. And godliness is an interesting word. You know, in today's world, we tend to think of it as a synonym for holiness. And to some degree, that is true. But godliness has a unique emphasis. It means that we're aware of God in every area of life. And if you think about it, that's very practical. Certainly, Paul was very practical. 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You know, someone might say, really, everything? Yes. I mean, why would you want one area of your life that's outside of an awareness that God is in it? You know, someone might say, well, I can think of areas of my life where I don't want God to be in it. But that idea that we can cordon off some part of our lives and leave that single matter outside of God's control, that's an illusion, whether we sleep or whether we wake, whether we're at work or at home, whether we're working out or whether we're relaxing, whether we're making supper or whether we're going out, whether we're making love with our spouse or reading a book, whatever we do, be aware of God in our activities. Sixth, brotherly affection. You know, those two English words are the translation of one Greek word, Philadelphia. You know, in the New Testament, that word is always applied to the love that we are to have towards fellow believers in Christ. There are brothers and sisters in Christ. And then finally, Peter just adds the word love. And here he means that our love for fellow believers spills over into a love for all. Away with self-centeredness and in its place, lay down our lives for others. So Peter has given us quite a list of additions to the faith, wouldn't you say? Add these things, one dependent on the next, to your faith. Now to verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how Peter mentions two things. First, he says, if these qualities are yours, that is, these qualities must exist in your life. If they're not there, You are ineffective. You're unfruitful. I'll get back to what that means. But here, Peter wants his readers to ask themselves if these qualities are the qualities they possess. It calls for brutal honesty. Go over these qualities again. Discuss them in your Bible study group. Dare to ask others, do you see those qualities in me? Do I have them? And Peter asks a second question. Are these qualities increasing? That is to say, not just do I have them, but am I growing in them? Like small plants in a garden, they need to be cared for, nurtured, and watered so that they might grow to become healthy and reach maturity. And that, says Peter, is the key to an effective and fruitful knowledge of Jesus. 
You see, the ineffective Christian is the one who accomplishes nothing for the glory of God. Their entire lives are simply a waste, and someone who's unfruitful is also someone who's useless. It is possible to spend a lifetime as a Christian and never accomplish a thing. And the way to remedy that utter disaster is not to get better at using our gifts, but rather to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Work at those things. Effectiveness is based on that, not if you're a great speaker. That's why in some circles, Christians are being led by hollow people, people who have external gifts, but they're like a stage front in which there's nothing behind that stage. It's all empty. And then, in order to emphasize this matter further, Peter says, whoever lacks these virtues, notice how abrupt this is, whoever lacks these is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten the cleansing of their sins. They're like Cinderella with amnesia sitting in an ash heap, forgetting that they were once transformed into a princess. Or since Peter has spoken about baptism in the previous book, we might also say there that he's forgotten the inner cleansing that his baptism has signified. And with that comes verse 10, which we've not read up to this point, but I need to warn you, verse 10's a bombshell. And if this verse causes you some concern, that's exactly how Peter intended it. Chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. See, when Peter tells us that we need to be more diligent, he means that we need to make the calling of our election sure. It ought to be a matter of serious concern. And I stop there because I have noticed a trend. See, when I was younger, I noticed that the question of whether or not a person was a genuine Christian was often discussed. I've also noticed that it's almost never discussed today. And that's concerning because, as I see it, it's simply assuming that anyone who claims to be a Christian must then be a Christian. Peter wants his readers to have a different attitude. Be all the more diligent, he says. Be overwhelmingly concerned of this matter. Well, very good. Let's be precise as Peter is about what exactly it is that must consume us. He says we ought to confirm our calling and election. Now, both of those words, calling, election, they're important biblical terms. So start with election. Election is entirely God's doing and not ours. Ephesians 1 verse 4 tells us that God chose us in Christ. That is, you know, in Greek, he elected us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God sovereignly chose those who would be his. That's election. Now, the term calling, well, it actually has two different contexts. I mean, one is simply that a calling is what it seems to be. God says, come to me and be saved. That's a call. God's making an offer. You find that kind of thing in Revelation 22:17, which says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And then later it says, let him who is thirsty come. See, there's a general call. It's an invitation. Anyone listening out there, Christ is calling you to come. And yet, at other times, the call seems like a particular one. Or as some Bible teachers frame it, an effective one. Not a general call, an effective call. What are some examples of that? Well, for instance, Romans 8.30 says, those whom he, that is, those whom God the Father predestined, he also called. Romans 8, 28, two verses earlier, Paul says, God causes all things to work together for the good to those who are called according to his purpose. So here, the calling is specific. God elected his own from eternity past, 
but now in the fullness of time, he's called them in such a way that they became his. And Peter speaks of an effective call in 1 Peter 2.9 when he says, you are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here Peter combines the call with the election. God has sovereignly acted to call his own to himself. Well, very good. Yet how do I know that if I am the elect of God? See, and Peter says, well, you've got to make your election sure. Does that sound strange? Well, why should it? I mean, after all, those who have been called and elected have an interest in this kind of a thing. And as we're going to see, our desire for the virtues that make us fruitful and growing, those very virtues assure us that, yes, I've been called. Yes, I've been elected. And now I know that I've truly been born again. But what if we don't see the virtues that Peter is speaking about? Well, if you don't, the answer is that you need to pray to God that he might have mercy on your soul. You see, that's how we make our election sure, that we not only desire for the virtues that that Peter speaks about, that we're beginning to grow in them. And that is the life of the individual who has been chosen by God. So instead of asking ourselves, well, how do I know whether in eternity past I was elected? That's a, a question that never gets an answer. The question that we should be answering is, am I growing in the virtues of Christ? Now, verse 11, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, says Peter, an entrance into the kingdom of Christ is opened up for all who are faithful to the gospel. Let me repeat that. Faith in Christ and moral excellence go hand in hand. Don't you say that you have faith if you're not living the godly life. And you won't come to Christ by living the godly life, but you'll come by having faith in Him. The two, faith and obedience, always go together. Thanks, John. John, can I ask you, is it enough to pray the sinner's prayer? And is it necessary that there be evidence of the change that's happening in my life? Yeah, we need an awakening of our heart. Of course we need to. Um, You know, if you've never been converted to Christ, you need to pray the sinner's prayer. You need to confess you're a sinner. You need to come to Christ. But, you know, the test of whether or not that's a real experience rather than one you've simply deceived yourself with is whether or not your heart has been changed so that you love the things of God more than anything else. And once you do that, uh, you know, you become a follower of Jesus. So that's what we're aiming at. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Danger From Within, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. In our society, the topic of money is often regarded as taboo. However, God in his word certainly doesn't keep quiet on the matter and he's provided us with an abundance of financial direction. On that note, we're thrilled to offer you our newest resource, a short booklet called 10 Questions About Money Matters, based on Dr. John's audio series, God and Money. This booklet addresses 10 common money-related concerns from a biblical perspective, some insight to help better bring glory to God with our resources. Because we feel this topic is so important to your spiritual walk, 
We want to offer you this resource free for the whole month of August. So simply request your copy today. Or if you'd like to offer a gift to support the ministry, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca.